Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Jason has a speaking role now because none of you have heard from Jason. So Jason didn't realize it, but he has a speaking role. So what I suggest in the next two or three minutes, Mike and Jason explain how long they've known each other and how the relationship built up. So because for the people on the phone, the relationship between Mike and Jason and, and myself is very important in terms of the quality of, of things we cover. You guys have it more. Surprise, Jason. You get to, you get to start speaking right. Hey. So Mike and I have known each other since high school in Northern Virginia. Mike went to Christopher Newport, the college freshman year. I went to Virginia Tech. He subsequently transferred to Virginia Tech. We were even roommates for a year there. Yeah. Then we kind of went our several ways and then reconnected in 2014 and, and ended up getting into business together, starting tech startups together. And, and now here we are. A little bit of foreshadowing for today. We're going to talk about NVIDIA and that's, that is the company that Jason and I initially melded minds over when it came to investing in public equities. At this point, I'd been running Topmark for two years, still probably trying to find my, my own stride as to what worked for me. <laughs> and, uh, we were building more specifically, Jason was building software for the company that we started called Virgin's Technologies. And we were specifically building a platform for running computer vision algorithms on a distributed network of IP cameras. So what we were seeing is that lots of people were using news to develop really cool algorithms that are able to identify objects, track objects, do all sorts of cool things within video that was making video potentially more useful. So our mission there was kind of to index uh, video data and make it searchable by using these algorithms. And at, at that point, it was pretty niche applications. It was data scientists doing kind of experiments. The data center revenue at NVIDIA was minimal, if anything, at that point. What we found is that everybody that was anybody in this industry was buying and using GPUs for artificial intelligence. Now, again, the main use case was gaming, but we clearly saw the future of what was happening. And I think I'll pause there because we're going to go over the, the theme and why the theme for applied artificial intelligence space since then and kind of where it's gone now. We ended up being better investors than startup founders. So we've uh, continued on this investing track and, and fortunately Jason's been able to break away from software development and join me in running Topmark, uh, since earlier this year. Other, other pieces for, for your background, Jason, maybe, yeah, maybe give your quick background. Yeah. Yeah. So following college, I, my degree is in aerospace engineering. So my, my first job was calibrating satellites that kind of led me down a path of Getting involved in the intelligence community, I spent a decade building 
big data applications, data mining kind of work for the intelligence community before deciding to, to start out on my own and get involved in starting my own company in the tech industry. And that's, that's where Mike and I were both looking at ideas to get up for business then. Rest was history. Yeah. I think maybe we should just start talking about the theme applied artificial intelligence and do it backwards. Yeah, we'll do it backwards. Then maybe Hunt will talk through the, uh, more of the macro stuff. So the catalyst for NVIDIA were really interesting. Artificial intelligence has been around since the fifties, the theoretical models and how you would do it has been around for a very long time, but they're lacking two important things in order to actually implement any of that technology. One was sufficient data. You need a lot of data in order to actually have a useful application. And the second thing was having the processing power in order to do that computation. The data problem ended up getting solved really with the advent of cloud computing. So cloud computing and mobile internet really enabled the collection of a lot more data. And next kind of next thing you know, everybody was sitting on a ton of data. Lots of people felt like it could be useful and at the beginning stages, people are using it to do high level analysis and make better decisions, but using it with artificial intelligence applications weren't really all that feasible yet. So the missing piece of the puzzle was having hardware that was capable of doing by happenstance, lots of matrix multiplication. And it turns out the GPUs are very, very capable of that. NVIDIA actually saw this coming a long way out and developed a software application that you could use to program their GPUs dating back to 2006. And then in 2012, a team of researchers used that software in order to win a competition for, it's called ImageNet, where they try to identify different objects within a standardized set of images. And their win in that competition was monumental and distinctly better than anything that had come prior to it. And everybody else at that time, for the most part, we're using CPUs. So those are the things that kind of came together to make that 2012, really the first year where it was like, oh, this is, this stuff is coming and it's coming now. And finally the pieces are in place. Hunt just walked in the room. Oh no, I've been listening with my right ear. The guys describing uh, how they uh, went from Virginia to big tech guys in Southern California. We had agreed having done the, uh, chip equipment companies that we'd switch in the chips and talking to video first, I think makes some sense. Normally I open with oil and gas commentary and I don't have anything really to add to whatever we covered in the last few Wednesdays. And I think more is going on kind of above and underneath the surface vis-a-vis China, which, you know certainly affects NVIDIA and, and certainly affects the equipment manufacturers we've gone through. And, uh, the only thing I'll say about it in, in terms of oil and gas input is China's use of oil is down like three and a half percent. And that has just never happened with China ever, ever. So the impact of these lockdowns is considerable. I. I don't know, maybe lockdowns, maybe it's like our semi lockdowns where all of a sudden people are playing more games or, you know, using their iPhones more 
but this is a significant development. I mean, it's the second largest economy in the world and, you know, growing faster than other large economies and their oil demand is definitely, definitely off in a significant way. And, and you see that in the price of oil, the price of oil would be higher were there more demand coming out of China. Above and below the surface, both NVIDIA and AMD have announced that, you know, they're having to deal with our U.S. government in terms of sending some of their AI chips, I guess you'd call them generically, into China. And the thing that struck me is NVIDIA said that could reduce their quarterly revenues by, was it 400? 400 million. Yeah. That's quarterly revenue. Mm -hmm. When Mike and I first discussed that, we said, well, it must be annual revenue. (laughs) We must have it wrong, but that's. That's four times 400 is a billion sticks. I mean, that's a significant chunk of revenue to give up. How do you guys think about that? The headwinds now are specifically this new export regulation thing. And then the second thing being now the second crypto crash. So on the export regulation side, we, we have a system called ITAR to make sure that we don't export items that can be used against us, against our country, um, in a war time. Yeah, but it it covers a lot of technology. Like I had to go through ITRAS training at KBH. Granted, they sell some stuff to the military as well, but Jason probably knows that better than. Yeah, Jason knows it so well he can't cop it. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, like this is something you the, the government woke up to the fact that, oh, you can use these things for war. Well, yeah, you definitely can. You can use it to to recommend which advertisement to show somebody on Facebook, but you could also use it for war game simulations, but missile tracking and training different AI stuff. So you can do all sorts of things. So it's actually pretty reasonable on behalf of the government to say, we want to know what you're going to use this for. We're not going to say you can't use it, but you got to tell us what you can use it for. My assumption going into this is that their clients over there are Tencent, Alibaba, all the big tech companies, right? And they're doing the same thing that Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon are using NVIDIA GPUs for. Good, clean consumption economy stuff. But you never know, right? So the vibe was definitely that no licenses are going to get granted. Now, the thing with NVIDIA, they, they got a one-year extension, which it's sort of confusing, <laughs> right? So they got an extension so they could still sell through their Hong Kong entity. Um, so I, read into that what you will, but it could be, I mean, it probably will be material. It's interesting that they didn't use ITAR as the mechanism to prevent sales. Right. Why do you think that is? No idea. It's clearly the way that way it's is. been done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does it impact you? In other words, does this mean that you couldn't ship chips into Foxconn who's assembling an iPhone? I think they got some sort of exemption on that because that, that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Most of our OSAT, so outsource assembly and tests, so not even to the point of assembling on the iPhone, but for chips, everything's done in China. Yeah. Um, there's some other countries too, but a vast majority of the capacity there. So 
let's just stop Mike for a second because he said something I don't believe I understand. I imagine some of the people on the phone do. When you say assembly, you mean they come out of Taiwan Semiconductor and then they go to China to be packaged before then they go on to their ultimate. Yeah. Think about a NVIDIA GPU, a consumer GPU that would go yeah. on your computer. Yeah. It sits on a board with a bunch of other stuff. There's right. a memory on there. There's some, some other things that all gets printed on the board. Most of that work is pretty low margin and high volume. And the board just, you know, I'm the guys who go out to be first, never sending an email or text. So I've had them explain to me what a board is. Board would be something that you plug into your computer. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so it might be three inches by four inches or a little bigger, probably three by five or six or something. Yeah. Taiwan Semiconductor doesn't do that. They turn out the chips. They go to someone in China. Mm -hmm. Could be someone like a Foxconn, maybe not Chinese. I mean, Foxconn, interestingly enough, I think the largest employer in China is actually based in Taiwan. Yeah. And Apple uses other people to assemble things. I always say Foxconn because I think they might be the largest. Mm -hmm. No, I think they probably have four or five other entities in China that, that do iPhones and iPads and whatnot. But just to show the interrelationships here, Mike and, and Jason makes an interesting point. The chips come out of Taiwan Semiconductor. And if it's one of these boards, they go to China where they worked on an assembled. That, that work doesn't happen in the U.S. basically. It, yeah. it might go on in. Vietnam or Malaysia or someplace, but it, it's, it's a Chinese thing. It, it's hard to imagine. We might as well, we might as well skip ahead from an investment point of view. We were having lunch outside with Brian Ars, we call my son and John Jim Goshen works and they were talking about different companies. And one of the things John said, John Jim Goshen said, well, we have to look at Taiwan Semiconductor, but because we're concerned about a Ukraine kind of situation, how would we offset that? You know, would we try to buy put, uh, you know, indexes of Chinese companies or, or whatnot? You know, it's one thing to sanction Russia, but I mean, just an example here, most iPhones are made in China. Mm -hmm. Your, your boards go from Taiwan Semiconductor to China to be worked on. We haven't even begun to talk about batteries. We had a, a board meeting yesterday, our largest company that makes utility scale batteries. Every one of those batteries comes from China, mm -hmm. they, you know, and, and they're going to come from China. Uh, we talked earlier in the spring about Tesla and how we, we looked at CATL, which seems to be the best managed and the largest of the. Chinese, and we decided maybe Tesla was better, best because it's a U.S. company. But you know, who knows how to <laughs> how to design batteries or design how they're used better in Tesla? So you know, the interaction between the Chinese economy and the U.S. economy is really quite remarkable. Yeah. Now, what is going on here? That that's why I said above the surface and under the surface with picking these AI chips. When Trump was president, it was kind of a tit for tat, you know, right? Uh, this, you know, what, what exactly is, you know, going on here? It, I, we can only really speculate. I, I think that they recognize that their semiconductor policy of just saying leading edge 
like China can't buy the technologies for the leading edge, which was broadly defined as seven nanometer and below right. was an ineffective policy. Right. This seems actually quite different. It's targeted to a couple specific products by a couple companies, right. which they must have had some intel that maybe they were using things in different ways. So alternatively, what do these companies do? They buy different GPUs from that are not as powerful. Maybe they buy the gaming GPUs and still do the same thing they want to do with it, but it costs them more and it takes more energy. Maybe I, it's not clear what the strategy is. Oh, and another angle is preventing China from advancing beyond the U S and artificial intelligence technologies on the software side. Uh, you want to talk about, about, you know, a new cold war, if you will, of who can build the better AI. China or the U.S. and who's winning that? Um, this is directly targeted to that. It's preventing them from getting the chips that train the best algorithms. Yeah. What do you think, Jason? If you had to guess now, and not five years from now, three years from now, where do you where do you think the most use of software and hardware to, to do AI with, with the, I mean, obviously one of the things is all these language capabilities where, you know, we, you know, you stream something in French and Spanish and English all at the same time. Uh, I guess that must be a reasonably large user of AI software hardware, but yeah, where else do you, so they, everyone all, always mentions self-driving cars, uh, which, right. Seemed to just haven't quite caught on yet. You know, it's kind of like move a self-driving car to move around an airport, but you know, do you really want a self-driving car out on uh, Park Avenue? Right. I, I personally, I believe that's further out than three years. Right. Um, I think within three years, what we're starting to see is AI algorithms are becoming creative. So there's a, a technology called large language models that people have recently been able to interpret free text that you type in and then create paintings and, and different forms of artwork right. out of that. Right. So I think we're going to see, you know, historically we, we say AI is going to replace more mundane work, you know, data entry, accounting, whatever, that, right. that type of stuff. I think we're going to start to realize it's going to be able to replace creatives, creatives, working, you know, it's, it's, people have used it to create paintings, um, write poetry, write poetry. Not too successfully, uh, <laughs> create music too. Right. There's even some videos on YouTube of AI generated scripts for short films. Right. And then they've had actors act those out. Right. So I, I think right. it's progressing really rapidly on the more creative side. Right. So within three years, I, I think we'll see it. We'll see that become more mainstream. Right. So maybe that, maybe that surfaces as, you know, your TikTok feed. Is maybe you don't use TikTok. No, probably <laughs> not. Your, your, your social media feeds might be AI generated content versus content from, uh, you know, creators. Right. Oh, I think that's a hundred percent the direction Facebook or Meta is taking it. Right. Because right. At some point, it was cheaper to get the general public to produce the content that they would consume, but now they've uh, what. TikTok's proven is that 
people don't need that content to come from their friends. As long as it's good content, they don't care. So if you can then create that content with AI, your cost of content is zero. And if you know everything about the user, you know exactly what to put in front of them so that they stick around and re watch the next ad. So right. it's a little dystopian. Directing, directing TikTok videos to someone who will appreciate them. That's AI, I guess. Absolutely. Would you say? Absolutely. Right. It's based on your profile. Right. I know that you're going to like a TikTok video about boats and dogs and tennis. Right. And somehow they tie it all in together <laughs> and you're like, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And how sophisticated do the GPUs have to be to do that? Yeah. I mean, in other words, how much of a proprietary position does NVIDIA have as compared to Intel must be working on a GPU? I think Qualcomm may be AMD, I believe, you know, they, so NVIDIA kind of had a two or three year, four year head start. They, uh, they do have better hardware, but it's, it's the software behind it. Right. So the, the proprietary language CUDA that Mike was speaking about earlier is, is the key that all of the algorithms use to talk to the GPU. So AMD has tried to, you know, port it over to theirs and kind of make a copy, but they're always a step behind. Right. By the nature of it, they, they forever right. will be. Right. Uh, so until someone can replace that. Right. Um, well, they, in the driver's seat. And they realistically won't because this is one of those things where the, the one, if you, if you fall behind the leading edge, it's impossible to catch up to the front. That's an interesting point that we've discussed over dinner, lunch and whatnot, that once you get a lead, unless you screw up, should be able to keep the lead. And you kind of see that in the development of tech companies. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. And then it's doubly hard to catch up, right? It's uh, very rare when it happens. Yeah. Well, and semiconductors, it has to have. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I keep making the case for Intel, you know, that Gelsinger <laughs> will somehow, I'll bet you Intel will get down to 20 and I still won't be able to make any, get any kind of a rise from Jason or like, they just say, look, when you get that far behind, you, you're just catching up just is not likely. Here's a prediction. Maybe they start spinning off different business units. Some people were making the case for them to put into a foundry and a designer, right? Discharge the IBM or IDM model, but maybe it goes farther. But even catching up to being a fabric should be very hard, right? I mean, it's never been done. Yeah. <laughs> At the Chinese, the Chinese are trying. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah, like the latest, the latest ASML equipment, right? They get, but they are making the densest NAM, right? Flash memory. They are the densest, right? We not only have to wipe this up because we only want to go more than 30 minutes. We got to get these guys in a car so they don't miss their plane by yeah. San Diego. There's no way I'm going to San Diego. So the only way we get the three of us on the boat in the same room is near more. We're going to try to make this a two or three times a year event. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be great. Yeah. We'll skip the winter quarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> skip the winter quarter. Maybe skip the middle of the summer. Yeah. Pick your weather. Pick your weather. <laughs> Listen, thanks for everyone listening in. And we'll be back to a more conventional approach. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. 